Good morning. It is 4 a.m. here in the morning in Texas where I am, but I'm glad to be able to say hello and to preach to you this morning uh, via the internet. What a strange invention we have, but it is the Lord's Day and it's Resurrection Sunday. I am so delighted to be able to, I get to uh, I get to say hi to you. I, I wish I was there. Nita and I miss you very much. We're very well. Um, and uh, praying for you all. I know there are lots of little battles and uh, struggles and things, but let me tell you, um, this day, this day, I mean, we, we celebrate it every Sunday, but the, the Lord's Day is the celebration of Resurrection Sunday. This day makes it possible. Everything that we need to do, we can do because of the resurrection. And I'm going to preach on that this morning. I'm going to talk to you about seeing the resurrection from afar. And I'm not going to use the PowerPoint. I'm just going to talk to you because it'd be easier this way. So just follow with me. Open your Bible to Philippians chapter one. And um, got three scriptures to look at this morning before we go into our main scripture. And if you're looking at what, what my background is, my background is my mom's sewing room. It's a downstairs guest bedroom that she has all of her sewing stuff in. And I could show you around to some big, uh, uh, it's a quilt she's making. She makes beautiful quilts. We Each one of us have heirloom quilts, quilts that she's made over the years. But um, anyway, <clears throat> we're just going to get to the preaching. And um, uh, Philippians chapter 1, I want you to see our first scripture this morning in verse 21. Philippians chapter one, get your Bible out. Don't, uh, I hope that I'm glad you're on internet devices, but, but do me a favor, get your real Bible out, open up the page to Philippians chapter one and verse 21. I want to show you that we Christians have a pretty good view of death. Okay. Now we don't worship it. And, um, uh, but we also don't freak out about it. We don't worry about it. Meaning that it doesn't cause us to panic. We actually kind of look forward to it. And if you look there in Philippians chapter 121, the apostle Paul's the, Paul says this, for me to live is Christ. Whatever Christ went through, I'm willing to go through. And to die is gain. You ought to circle the last section there. To die is gain for the Christian. Not everybody can say that. Not everybody can, can actually look forward to such a thing. The believer can, though. Go to 2 Corinthians. Go to the left and find 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 1, just verse 1 and 2, and then we'll jump down to verse 6. Philippians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 says, For we know, and I hope you know that there are some things in the Bible that, that make it so that we know these things. We don't guess at it. We don't hope for it. Everybody talks about hope with religion. I know some things. It says, we know that if our earthly house, speaking of his body, he says that our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved. What a way to talk about decay and disintegration in the, in the grave. If our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, it doesn't matter because we have a building of God. We have another body, a house not made with hands, and it's eternal in the heavens. Verse 2, for in this body... We groan, earnestly desiring, look at that, to be clothed upon with our house, which is in heaven. Now, he talks about putting on a new body, like, like moving into a new house, okay? Because that's all your body is. Your, my body is, is, is a shell. Jump down to verse 6. <clears throat> Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we're at home in this body, we are absent from the Lord. Now, that, that can be sad at times, but at least I know that while I'm in this body, I, I'm not with the Lord. Verse 7 says that while I'm here, we live, by, we walk by faith and not by sight. But that's only for a little while. Verse 8 says we are confident. That's a good word. That's a positive word. We're confident, I say, and willing rather, desiring rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now, do you say that? Do you think about that? I mean, what would cause you and me to think about looking forward to die? Not that we hasten it and hurry it up. I need to go one more scripture. John, the gospel of John chapter 11. <clears throat> John chapter 11. 
verse 25. I'm so glad to be able to do this. I just, I just wish I could just go to each one of the internet locations, say hi. Boy, I just, we miss everybody. But John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus is speaking to uh, Martha and to Mary, and he says unto her, I am the resurrection. I want you to understand this. He's not just talking about a way out future resurrection. Everybody's coming back up, okay? Some to life and some to eternal damnation, condemnation. But it says, instead of talking about something way out in the future, he says, you're looking at the resurrection. You're looking at the power of the resurrection. You're looking at the person behind the resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Aren't those amazing words? And then he asks this question. He says, believest thou this? I'm going to ask you those same three questions, those three same three words. Do you believe as well? We just sang a song. Well, we just heard a song sung by the guys that it is not death to die. Okay, now we Christians really believe this. Uh, as crazy as it sounds, uh, we may actually have to bury some of us, okay, before the rapture. But it is not death to die. Listen to that second verse. <clears throat> they saying it is not death to fling aside this earthly dust, speaking of our life, and rise with strong and noble wing to live among the dust, among the just, sorry. It is not death to hear the key unlock the door that sets us free from mortal, year, mortal years to praise you more, evermore. I have to think, my mind is racing ahead, forgive me. But it is not death for a Christian to die. And all uh, so many of our hymns that we sing speak of this, all right? Uh, Mighty Fortress is our God. Martin Luther wrote this. He said, let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, just let it go. The body our enemies may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. So a, a Christian doesn't worry about somebody ultimately killing this body. Persecution's coming. Some people are already experiencing it. Well, amen. All right? Because they may kill the body, but we don't die. Uh, there's a wonderful song called My Jesus, I Love Thee by William Ralph Featherson. He wrote, I love thee, God, because thou hast first loved me and purchased my pardon on Calvary's tree. I love thee for wearing the thorns on thy brow. And if ever I love thee, my Jesus is now. I love thee in life and I love thee in death. And praise thee as long as thou lendest me breath. And when the death dew lies cold on my brow, if ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. So he wasn't worried about death. As a matter of fact, he said, I just can't wait to get there and praise you for loving me. Now, where do we get this kind of belief from? Where does it come from that we talk so crazily about um, uh, looking forward to death? Okay. And, and, and if there's anything harder than facing death, I don't know what it is, okay? We all have problems, but facing death is the hardest one. And we get this idea that death is taken care of, all right? And we get that from people in the Bible who faced death and they learned to trust God. Uh, they learned that death was not the end. Now, the Apostle Paul, he taught entire chapters in the Bible about the resurrection, and about how it is the most important reality for the Christian, okay? <clears throat> Philippians 3.10, I want you to go there. We were there earlier, but Philippians 3.10. <clears throat> Philippians 3.10. And Paul says this, he says, that I may know him. And Paul already knew about Jesus, he says, but I want to know him more. And you want to know somebody who's alive, you can't really love someone who's already dead and gone. You can learn about them, but you can't know them. He says that I may know him. That's my desire. And to know the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Paul didn't worry about suffering. He says there's sweet fellowship in it with Jesus. 
Uh, there's power in the resurrection, and I'm made being made conformable. I'm transformed. I'm changed uh, under his death. I'm looking forward to whatever it takes me through because his death made it possible for eternal life. All that I want to talk about over this morning, okay? So this is the summary of what I want to talk to you this morning about from Genesis chapter 22. And you can go ahead and be turning to Genesis 22. But as you turn to Genesis 22, I want to say this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the power behind what we do as a Christian. You forget that, and I forget that. I mean, I've tried to give out the gospel here in America, and it seems weird. A lot of people are saved, uh, but it's just a spirit here. <clears throat> well, what's the power that would drive me to just pull out a gospel track and hand it to them? It's because Jesus is alive that I do it. And the encouragement that I get is not whether they receive it or not, but, but the reality of it. So whatever God asks you and me to do, we can do it in his power, not just, not just by faith, all right? And I try to walk by faith, but I need strength. I need power. I need ability to do what God asked me to do, okay? So now I appreciate when somebody encourages me and somebody writes a word of encouragement to me. It's wonderful, okay? But that only takes me so far, okay? But Paul calls the power of the resurrection the very power that we need to do what God asks us to do. Remember, Jesus says this, or so Paul says this. He says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Now, a dead man can't help you do anything. But Jesus, the God man, alive, resurrected, he can help you do anything. He can help you do everything God asks you to do. Why? Because death has no more dominion over him. And I want you to remember this. If death has no more dominion over Jesus, he has made it possible so death has no more dominion over you and me. So let's go to Genesis 22. <clears throat> I want you to see what Abraham and Isaac saw afar off. Genesis chapter 22. <clears throat> and uh, look in verse 1. Look in verse 1. <clears throat> and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. Now, God's involved with this thing. It's not the devil here. Abraham's not doing anything wrong and the devil getting a foothold in his life. Don't get that idea. It says that God did tempt Abraham. And he said unto Abraham, Abraham, called him by his name. And he said, behold, here I am. Okay. And uh, he said, take now thy son, thy only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. Now, you, God uses many extreme. Now, this is an extreme situation. Okay, He doesn't ask anybody else to do this. He just asked Abraham to do this because he's going to show us the power of the resurrection. And that when we believe in the power of the resurrection, it changed our life. Okay, so watch what he says. All right. Uh, God uses extreme events in the lives of people in the past, especially in the Bible, to show the depth and strength of faith in the resurrection. And God put Abraham's faith to the test. That's what the word tempt means there. Tempt doesn't always mean a pull to do evil. It means a, he puts us in a situation to find out if we are real, if our faith is real. All right. Uh, what did Abraham believe? I wanted to find out if Abraham really believed what he said he believed. Now, I believe Abraham believed God was good. God, Abraham loved God. Abraham thought that everything God asked him to do would be a good thing. Now, not many people believe that anymore, but Abraham believed God was good. He believed that Isaac, his son, 13-year-old son standing by him, was a special gift from God. He knew it was the fulfillment of a promise of God. And he believed that Isaac, Abraham's only begotten son, he believed that Isaac and all of Isaac's future children would one day become a great nation, a great nation that was promised to Abraham, and that God would keep every one of his promises. Well, God is now going to push Abraham, push his faith to the limit to see if what he what he said he believed, he really believed, okay? And you and I can rattle off a lot of things we say we believe, okay? I believe Jesus is coming back. I believe he's coming back very soon. I believe we're, we're super close, okay? Things go up and down and uh, may, things may get better. I just know this. 
God doesn't need circumstances to determine the time of the rapture. The rapture comes uh, whether anything else happens or not. It is imminent, folks. I believe Jesus is coming back. But you and I will be tested whether we keep believing that. I believe God will take care of me. I really believe that. I believe God is good. I believe that God's in charge. I believe he's running this world. Right Now, the devil's making a mess out of the things. He's the God of this world. But only God has ultimate control, okay? So I believe all that. But when troubles come, and I, I think you believe that too, okay? I hope you do. But when troubles come, how many of those things do you still hold on to? See, Abraham's about to go through the toughest test anybody could ever go through. Now, it's a necessary test. Uh, and, and, but faith has to be tested for it to be real. I wish, you, I wish you would write that down somewhere. Faith is not real unless it's tested. And the same with everything else. I mean, you wouldn't go over a bridge if they didn't test it, okay? Now, I appreciate engineers who design things, but I want them to test it. I want them to test the concrete and the metal. I want them to run the heaviest truck they can over that, that bridge before I drive over it, right? Same thing with a new car design. I want that thing tested, crash test, dummy test, speed test, whatever, before they put it on the market. And I sure appreciate it when they put a new vaccine out that they've tested it and it's actually a real thing, okay? So same thing is with tr with, true with faith. It's got to be tested. Now, verse three, we'll, go through, we'll keep going on. Abraham's faith is about to be tested. And he's about to admit that there's a cost to believing God. Look at verse three. <clears throat> Abraham rose up early in the morning, he saddled his ass, and he took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. So he takes Isaac, and he clave, he cut up the wood for the burnt offering, and he rose up and went to the place which God had told him. All right? Now, that's the most somber part of Scripture right here, okay? So far, what we've got is a command by God. I want you to take your son. I want you to go to a place I'm going to show you. And when you get there, I want you to give me back your son. I want you to sacrifice your son. Now, let me make two statements. There are no works involved in getting faith. You can't get faith by works, okay? But faith does cause us, if we believe God, it does cause us to act and to do things differently. I mean, other people may not understand what's going on. But when, when faith is in, in work, when faith is at work, we're going to do things differently. So when God commanded Abraham to take that teenage son of his and lead him to a small mountain called Mount Moriah and there kill him, Abraham did it. I mean, would you? I mean, how hard would you find it? Now, God only asks one man to do this, and he did it to show us an example of what God was going to do when he, as the father, was going to one day offer his son, way out in the future, about 2,000 years. So, But to, they, to Abraham, this is the worst price, the highest cost that you could ever pay just to believe God. And yet he didn't hesitate. The Bible says that Abraham didn't drag his feet. It says early in the morning he got up the next day. He prepared for the long journey. I mean, he packed up food. He got some guys to go with him. He gathered wood for the altar fire. He told his wife and his son they were going to a place to go and worship. They were headed for a place called Mount Moriah. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, we call it Golgotha now. It's the same mountain that Jesus dies on. So, But Abraham doesn't know that yet. Okay. Now, I can imagine from Isaac's viewpoint, he gets to go on a camping trip with dad, just he and dad. So it, it's the best day ever for him, okay? But it's the worst three days of Abraham's life. Think about it. I mean, how does he not tell his son, son, you're about to die, okay? So, but Abraham didn't hesitate. Abraham never, never quit. He didn't get angry at God. He didn't argue with God. He just took every step. And he just kept going. He just kept going. Now, verse 4 shows us our main message. Okay, you ready? That you got to see the end of your faith. <clears throat> you got to see what you're trusting. Yesterday, we were out driving. And uh, uh, very few people ride their bicycles over here. The traffic is horrendous in Austin. Um, but I was thinking, like, uh, I was trying to get my daughter to, uh, she's got a bike, but to get a job. 
And, you know, when you when you can't see where you're going and you find out it's five miles this way, that way, this way, that way, this way, that way, turns and uh, through traffic and everything, it's pretty hard to take a long journey and to ride your bike so far or to walk somewhere. And sometimes that's fun where you walk where you don't know. But when you can see where you're going, when you see the end of where you're going, it makes it so you just keep going. And sometimes God calls us to actually open our eyes of faith and see the end. Don't just get caught up in what you're going on, going through right now. If Abraham didn't see Mount Moriah ahead of him, I I guarantee you he would have quit. Because as he got closer and closer to that point where he's going to give his son, it it, would have killed him just like he would have killed any father. Okay, But verse 4 says this. Then on the third day, now they've traveled three days, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and these are the words I want you to see. He saw the place afar off. This is the best part, okay? After three of the longest days in Abraham's life, he looked up and saw the place where his son would die. I saw it afar off. It's still a couple miles away, maybe. But what did he see? Now, you and I, I mean, we may see a hill. We see... You know, I, I sometimes I meet somebody and I see somebody. I don't know what they're going through. It'd be nice to be able to see more than what I just normally see with my eyes. Abraham saw more than what you and I might just see on a hillside or whatever, okay? Uh, God showed Abraham the cross. I believe with all my heart, and I'll show you why in just a minute. The Bible tells us that. He saw God, not, not Abraham, he saw God sacrificing his own son on that very same hill way out in the future. And this is the moment that Jesus refers to when he talks about Abraham in John chapter 8. And so I need you to go there. Let's go quickly to John chapter 8. Because Jesus refers to this very scripture. John chapter 8. And we're going to pick up this verse 51 and read down to verse 59 bit by bit. And I want you to see this. John 8, 51. We'll just go through this real quick, but I want you to see, Jesus speaks, Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, if you obey what I say, he shall never, here's our words, he'll never see death. All right, I love that. Okay? Now, everyone dies. Everyone sees people die. We see graves. We see people being put into the grave. No one escapes death. And yet Jesus here promises When somebody follows him, that's why I follow him, okay? I know he's a good teacher. I know what he says is the truth. I know he can heal. I know he's the perfect person who's ever lived on this planet. But none of that matters at the grave. I need somebody who can carry me beyond the grave, okay? Because Jesus says, anybody who follows me will never experience death. (laughs) That's why I believe in the resurrection. That's why I meet every Sunday with as many people as I can in any way that I can. Because when you follow Jesus, we skip out on death. Verse 52. That's when the Jews said unto him, now we know that thou hast a devil. You're demon possessed, man. Abraham. And they go back to Abraham. Remember that. They bring up Abraham. Abraham is dead. And the prophets And yet thou sayest, if a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Now, the Jewish leaders believe that only a demon-possessed person would say that if somebody followed them, they would never experience death. And then they bring up Abraham. They say, even Abraham, the greatest man of faith who ever lived, died. All the great prophets throughout history, like Samuel, he died. Moses, he died. Daniel, he died. Isaiah, died. Jeremiah, dead. And yet here was Jesus saying, a believer in him. That's why Jesus is not a a teacher. He's not a great prophet. He is the Messiah who gives eternal life. Uh, They continue in verse 53. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets are dead. What? Uh, whom makest thou thyself, as if to say, who do you think you are? So um, uh, verse 54, Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father that honoreth me, of whom ye say, 
that he is your God. So I'm not saying anything except uh, what God the Father has already said about me being the Messiah. The question is, is God your father? Now he turns the tables on him. Verse 55, yet ye have not known him. You've not known God, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I should be a liar like unto you. Okay. <clears throat> but I know him and I keep his sayings. So Jesus makes a very pointed, a very sharp statement. He says, you do not know God. Even as religious as you are, you are ignorant of the God that Abraham believed in. Uh, and he says, I am not a liar like you all are. I'm just obeying God. Do you? Verse 56, and this is the big part here. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. <clears throat> That's the whole message. If you'll just ponder that verse for another week or two, you'll get what I'm talking about this morning. Abraham saw my day. He saw, he saw me out in the future. He saw one day out in the future, and it changed his life. It made him glad. It made him able to smile no matter how hard his day, week, month, life may be. No matter what God asked him to do, to do he would do it because he saw Christ out in the future. Um, Abraham did not just get up and decide he would kill his son Isaac. I mean, uh, he, he's obeying God, but believe me, there's a battle going on inside him like there would be with anyone, all right? But God showed Abraham when he looked up at that hill called Mount Moriah, we call it Golgotha or Mount Calvary. He looked up there, God showed him something. And I hope that you understand you don't need a vision of God, and I don't need a vision of God, a, a, a dream. Um, what I need is the Bible, because as I read my Bible, I get the, I can see what Abraham saw. I can believe what Abraham believed, okay? Now, what Abraham saw made it possible for him to trust God with the life of his only son. It made it possible for Abraham to do the hardest thing imaginable, and it made it even possible for Isaac to trust his father with a knife, okay? <laughs> you have to laugh because this is the most extreme situation that Isaac would trust his daddy, putting him, tying him up, putting him on that altar, and then watching his daddy pick up a knife and Isaac not run away. So what did Abraham see? He saw three great things. He saw God himself become a lamb, becoming the lamb who would ascend to the very same hill. He saw God himself sacrificing his own son in place of all mankind on a cross on that same mountain 2,000 years later. And he saw life. Yes, there was death, but there's, there was a substitute dying instead of Isaac. There was a substitute dying instead of Abraham, instead of Craig Ledbetter. He saw a death, but not anyone of himself or, or his family. He, he saw the Son of God dying. And it glad he saw the day of Christ. He it gladdened Abraham. It made him, I believe with all my heart, it made him dance and shout and rejoice and smile and worship in the midst of the deepest struggle he could ever imagine. Now, he's still walking with his son up that hill. It, it, not everything's making sense, but he sees something that carries, that, that, that lifts his heart and, li and motivates him to keep going, all right? So look at verse 57. We'll keep, keep talking here. We'll finish up <clears throat> in John chapter 8. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou are not yet 50 years old. Old, and hast thou seen Abraham? How did he see your day? You're not even 50 years old. He's only 33 and a half at this point, but uh, you're not even 50 years old. And yet you say you've seen Abraham and Abraham's seen you. In verse 58, Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. And there it is. Even though Abraham was dead, Jesus admits to having been there with Abraham. 
that Abraham saw Jesus, that before Abraham ever existed, Jesus said he had always been there. He, Jesus, claimed to be the I am, the same I am that spoke in Exodus chapter 3 in a bush to, to Moses saying, I am that I am. Jesus claims to be the eternal God. That's why in the next verse, all those religious leaders tried to stone and kill Jesus for, for such intense blasphemy. Look at verse 59. Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. So knowing this helps us understand why Abraham was able to trust God. Abraham saw what God the Father was going to do. You see, sometimes we figure about what we got to do when we forget what God has already done. It made it possible for Abraham to do what God had asked him to do. And if you and I saw the resurrection ourselves afar off, it will be all the power and strength that we need for every trial and every test that we have to go through. See, I'm 2,000 years after the resurrection. Abraham was 2,000 years before it. Let me tell you, you don't have to be there to see the power that's there. And Paul says, I, I, I wish I had been there. And, and I, I only want to know the power of the resurrection that changes lives and that motivates me. So let's go back to Genesis 22. And we'll finish this thought here. Genesis 22 and verse 5. Because there is power behind our worship that is missing. See, if you don't get the desire to say amen and woo, amen, praise God. That truth in the Bible is because you don't see the truth in it. You're just reading it. You're not believing it. I mean, when we get together on a Sunday, when we and get together, or even when we just get to, to pull up the, uh, the computer and listen to one another and, and uh, sing and, and, and hear preaching, it ought to thrill you. It ought to excite you. It ought to motivate you. Why? Because it's the Lord's day. He's alive. And, and uh, the things that we read in the Bible, we see it. Don't, don't forget, this is truth. This is the kingdom of God we're peering into, and it is all the power we need. So <clears throat> verse 5 says this. Abraham, he's, he's, he's looking at that hill, and he says unto the, his young man, those other two men with him, Abide ye here with the ass, stay with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship. And watch these four words. Five words, and come again to you. We're going to go up there, and we're coming back. How could he say that? All right? Just up until that point, he was going up there, and he's going to kill his son. How's he going to bring his son back with him? Something he saw on that hill changed his mind and changed his view of what was going to happen up there. So um, I hope you realize that not only praying and singing, is worship, but sacrificing and weeping and struggling are all worship. They're, they're all when you're when you worship in the presence of God, I don't care if you're weeping or if you're dancing and rejoicing and shouting, it's worship. And Abraham says, We're gonna go worship, <laughs> even though we're gonna have a sacrifice. He didn't understand it at all, he's just gonna go worship. And I, I I thought about this. Happy people don't worship God. You ever tried to go into church and pump up the happiness so that you could try and worship God? It doesn't work that way. You got it backwards. Worship, true worship, makes people happy. It's okay to come to church. It's okay to, to pick up your Bible. It's okay to bow in prayer defeated. And to just worship God, you will not stay defeated. You will, you will come away happy. Because when you read your Bible, you ought to see some things. You'll see Jesus. You'll see what he did for you on the cross. You'll see what he's doing for you right now, ever interceding. You'll see him coming back. It'll thrill you, gladden you. Happy people don't worship God. So forget it. Just get to church. Read your Bible. I'm not happy. You'll read it and it'll make you happy because worship makes people happy. Let me just, that's my side issue. Another point. Abraham, you notice there, he goes alone with Isaac up that small mountain. The other men didn't go with him. And that's nice when we have other people with us in church. And boy, do we need to assemble. <clears throat> but worship is not always a group thing. Sometimes it's an alone thing, right? 
even though nobody knows what you're going through, you still worship. And you worship sometimes in the midst of people or sometimes alone. Just spend time with God. And whether you're the only one worshiping, obeying, and praising God, do it because of the resurrection. Now, I, I just have to say this. He plans on returning with Isaac. And that's absolutely, this is faith. You see, uh, something he see he has seen has convinced them that either Isaac is not going to die or that if he does die, God's going to raise him right back up again. And God's going to re resurrect him. He has no idea what's going to happen. That's why he goes up there and he says, we're coming back. Look at verse 6. And Abraham now is able to do the impossible, okay? I guarantee you, at, at, up until this point, Abraham, it, it, it would have killed him. And there's not a parent alive who doesn't feel the same thing. You would much rather give your own life than watch your son or your daughter go through uh, trouble or hardship or sickness or an experience that, that, that might cost them their life. You'd rather give your life. But here is, is Abraham giving his son's life, okay? So he's being asked to do the impossible. Now he's able to do it. Look at verse 6. And Abraham, he took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it upon Isaac. <laughs> this is what he's, Isaac's going to lay down on, okay? His son, he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And they went both of them together. So Abraham took, takes the wood and he placed it on Isaac. Uh, and they went together. As I said again, he's doing this because he saw something else on that mountain. <clears throat> so he's got to get up there. and He's got he's to experience the power of the resurrection himself. And at the top, now you got to, this is kind of humor, humorous, okay? Look at verse 7. Isaac starts to cop on, <clears throat> starts to see a problem here. Look at verse 7. <clears throat> Isaac spoke and speaking to his father, Abraham, his father. Now his dad has rebuilt, has built an altar there of stone. He's put the wood on top of the altar. Uh, verse seven, and Isaac spake unto Abraham, his father, said, my father. And he said, here I, here am I, my son. And he said, behold, as if to say, I see the fire. Mm, I see the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? So he's saying, dad, uh, you've built an altar for the sacrifice. I see the knife in your hand to kill the sacrifice. We have plenty of wood to burn the sacrifice. You brought fire in your hand to light the sacrifice, but where's the sacrifice? Where's the lamb? And Abraham says the most amazing thing. It is something only faith can say. Look at verse 8. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide not just a lamb. He says God will provide himself a lamb for a bird offering. So that satisfied Isaac. You've got to understand, Abraham's faith was enough for Isaac. What Abraham saw, Isaac trusts. <clears throat> he says, God will himself provide the sacrifice, as if to say even himself would be the sacrifice. I don't know if Abraham understood what he said, but that's his meaning. And he's basically saying, God will meet our need. We need a sacrifice. God will supply the sacrifice. And it's true. God will take care of every one of our needs. That's why we call him Jehovah Jireh. We'll see that in a few minutes. So verse 9, verse 9. And they came to the place where God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood on the altar and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Verse 10, and Abraham stretched forth his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. He's going all the way. And I am, I'm telling you, he's only doing this because of what he saw on that very same hill. He does not believe his son is going to either die or either going to stay dead. So I, I have to stop there for a second. Remember, Isaac has laid down willingly on that pile of wood and is a great picture of Jesus. Remember the cross is made out of wood. And Jesus laid out his hand and let those men nail him to that cross. Just as Isaac laid down on that wood and let his father tie his hands and his feet together like a sacrifice. The picture is unmissable. So I could, I could just guess 
that uh, Isaac closed his eyes and just trusted his father, and he trusted the God of his father. Because there's nothing for Isaac to do but trust. And in that moment, that split second, God intervened. He stepped in, stopped everything, and he praised Abraham and Isaac for such faith and trust in him. Look at verse 11. And the angel Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he's got to stop him, okay? And he said, here am I. I mean, the perspiration coming down his hand. I mean, it would be, I'd be sweating, man. I hope this works, okay? Verse 12, verse 12. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything upon him, unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God. Seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes. Here's he looking again. What's he going to see? Praise God. And behold, behind him a ram. And I want you to understand, a ram is a male lamb. Okay. We always talk about a lamb, a lamb, a lamb. And it is a lamb. A ram is a male lamb. Okay. Uh, uh, behold, a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. He's, he's stuck there. He's trapped there. He, he's trying to get out. Uh, and Abraham went, he took that ram and he offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead as a substitute of his son. <clears throat> so in, in the moment there, God brought the, the, the lamb and, uh, Abraham grabs that lamb. Uh, he ties him up and well, he's, he's, he's let loose Isaac. I believe me, there's, there's. There's such a relief and there's such joy, such hugging and praising God all around that dying lamb. And, you know, a lot of people look at us and they go, how can we sing? There is power, power, wonder working power in the blood of the lamb. How can we sing about Calvary? How can we sing about the death of Jesus Christ? Because just as Abraham and Isaac we're able to stand back and let that lamb die in their place. So do we also rejoice that Jesus died in our place. See, Isaac got to go away free, scot-free, alive. He did not have to die. Somebody else, something else took his place. Okay. So look at verse 14. Verse 14. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh. You ought to remember that name because that's one beautiful name you can call God. As it is said in this to this day, in the mount of the Lord, here's our last four words, it shall be seen. <clears throat> in the mount called Moriah, what we call Golgotha, something soul-saving will always be seen. It <clears throat> shall be seen. What is the it? It's the cross. It's the tomb. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and, and our, our being able to walk away, the fact that Abraham, with his son, walked back to those two boys was the fulfillment of his faith. And the fact when I believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I get to walk in the newness of life. I, get to, I am free from the bondage. I'm free from the old life. I've got a new joy. I've got a second chance at life, and, and it's a gift called eternal life. So uh, why was Abraham willing to lose the most precious thing in his life, which was his son? Uh, because he saw on that mount, Jehovah Jireh, God provided. And the only reason why I and you can face and do and, and can, can pay the price of living by faith is because Jehovah Jireh, because God has provided on the mount, in that mount, all because of the, of the resurrection. You say, well, I need money. Well, I need health. Well, I need a girlfriend. Well, I, whatever you need, you got to understand, is nothing compared to what God has supplied already on the cross. Now, God will take care of all those other needs. You seek first the kingdom of God, and he'll supply all the rest that you need. Matthew 10, uh, 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 Matthew 6.33 says, 
Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. So whatever you're needing in the mount, in the death, the burial, the resurrection, in that moment of salvation where you trust that, God will supply it all. God will meet the need. So uh, uh, Abraham saw Jesus' death and burial and resurrection on the very mount. That was the hardest thing for him to do. And I want you to just stop for a second and realize, I don't know what 2021 is going to hold for us or how hard it's going to be. Whatever God asks us to do, let's do it. Let's do it looking at that mount called Mount Calvary, Golgotha, Mount Moriah, and see that there's our provision of strength. Whatever, when, when my heart's cold and when, when I'm apathetic, look to that mount and, and get the gladness of I, I, that's all I need. I just needed to see that. I need to be reminded of the love of God. I need to be reminded of, of the presence of God in that mount to get me through this moment, this day, this month, okay? So uh, what do you see on that mount? You know, uh, the disciples missed it. Don't, I don't, they, you're, you're, no one, you're not unusual, the fact that sometimes you don't see all this, okay? But no matter how many times Jesus told his disciples he was going to go to Jerusalem, he was going to go up on Mount Calvary, he was going to die, they were going to bury him and resurrect him, they just didn't get it. So it takes a little time to get it. But don't you be sitting in front of your laptop this morning or sitting watching and viewing me or whatever uh, and, and join the multitudes of people who don't get the cross and don't see the tomb and don't experience the power of the resurrection. Because it's your turn right now. It's your turn to believe in the resurrection. I mean, you, you say, well, I, I believe it. Well, do you believe it? willing enough to be tested? I mean, where you lose something and, and, and everything falls apart. Are you willing to let it happen knowing that it'll come back better? You see, you never lose anything when you're following Jesus. Even if you die, you don't die. You live forever. The gift of God is eternal life. <laughs> the ways of sin, that's death that never ends. But the gift of God is eternal life. So will you believe that God's in charge of your life? The good times and the bad? Would you believe that God is good? He's not cruel. He's not harsh or evil. He's good. We believe that all the promises of God can be believed. Abraham struggled with that. But as he approached that mountain, he got a promise that he could not shake. We believe that the resurrection was easy for God. He can, I don't care what you lose, God can reach beyond death and bring it back. Bring it back all the better. And that, would you believe that all of us, if we, as believers, we miss death now. For me to live, is Christ, and to die is only gain. I don't worry about death. Whatever you're holding close to you, dear Christian, whatever God may ask you to let go of, let it go. See, the worst day in history, worst day in history is not the day you're going through. It's the day that God went through on the cross. Will you let that be reason enough for you to put up with whatever you're going through? And if you're not saved, dear friend, I'm begging you, will you finally believe the gospel? We finally believe the good news that somebody named Jesus took your place, paid your sin debt to God. You're in trouble with God. You may not like it. You may not agree with it, but you are. You're a sinner. You're a dirty, vile, wicked sinner. If people knew what you thought, if people knew what you liked and what you, where you went and what you've done, I mean, they see enough of you already to not like your sin, but God sees it all. And you're in trouble with God, and you ought to die. The wages of all of our sin is death. But will you finally believe that with all your heart that God swapped out for you himself? He became a man so that as a son, he could die for you and me. And not only would he die, I mean, that wasn't, that wasn't all that had to happen. He had to break the power of death, had to prove he was dead by being buried, and then he had to break the power of death by coming back up. And if you just believe all that, you'll be saved. You say, how do you know that? 
I, I'm glad you asked. Go to our last scripture, Romans chapter 10, and we're finished. Romans chapter 10, verse 8. Just two scriptures. Romans 10 and verse 8. Well, what saith it? What does the scripture say? The word is nigh thee. It's right in your hands, even in your mouth. You can say it. And in thine heart, that is the word of faith, which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, if you can say that I believe it, and shall believe it in thine heart, not just in your head. But what are we believing? That God hath raised Jesus from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. Verse 13 says, if you just call on his name as the living Savior, knowing that he's not dead. I mean, we're celebrating the resurrection day. What are we celebrating? He's alive. He says, he's alive forevermore. You can cry out to him and ask him to save you. Say, I believe you're alive. I believe God raised you from the dead. Save me. Take away this condemnation that's on me and give me the gift of eternal life. And he will. He will. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for putting some people in the Bible through some hard things, impossibly extreme things, so that we can learn the, the depth and the, the length and the height of, of faith and of the power of the resurrection. Because there's no greater truth. There's no greater reality than the fact that you're alive. You're, you're not the God of the dead. You're the God of the living. And you're the God that gives life, eternal life. You give our, you give life to our soul and to our spirit. Now, we may die physically, but that's not death. There's a death that goes on forever and ever and ever and ever. And you save us from that by believing in the resurrection. So, Lord, uh, thank you for Abraham's faith. Thank you for Isaac. But thank you. We believe it. We can believe it today. So glad we have a Sunday, every Sunday, but today's kind of special. May we, may we never have another Sunday that we don't say, whew, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what God says today. I'm going to let it encourage me. I'm going to always, always keep my eyes on that event, of the cross, the burial, and the resurrection, because it saved my life. It'll save my family. It'll get me through. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.